0: Guess what, friends? We have big fun, fun news. You know, Crank and Boom has been a Lexington favorite for over a decade now. Well, now Crank and Boom has been enshrined on a Monopoly board. Yes, I'm talking about the real-life Monopoly board game you played as a kid with Community Chess, Park Place, and Kentucky Avenue. They have just come out with the Lexington edition of Monopoly, and Crank and Boom is on the board. So you can go buy Crank and Boom as a property on the latest Monopoly board featuring all sorts of Lexington attractions. Grab your own board game at crankandboom.com. Before supplies run out, crankandboom.com. Hello friends, welcome to the Crank and Boom podcast. I am your host, Tao Green. I opened a Thai restaurant with my family 17 years ago that has since morphed into a multi-million dollar ice cream business. I have the honor of leading 40 plus teammates to fulfill our company's mission, create joy, ignite laughter, and inspire compassion. And now I get to share my experiences of building this incredible business with you. On the show, we chat all things small business, family, and life, and how we can do it all with a bit more purpose and in community. I am so glad that you're here. This is the Crank and Boom Podcast. One of the overarching questions we are always asking ourselves at Crank and Boom is how to create belonging. It kind of permeates everything we do, really. I've mentioned this before, but our mission statement is to create joy, ignite laughter, and inspire compassion. A shorter way to say all of that is to create belonging and build community. I really believe that any employee and any customer that walks through our door should feel like they belong there. No questions asked or proof required. It's just how it is. Which brings us to our topic today, the buzzword everyone's talking about, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Now, this can mean different things to different people, but what I think it ultimately means is to create belonging in any organization that you find yourself in or yourself leading. DEI policies and practices can transform an organization in a way where everybody wins. Research shows that diversity drives innovation and profitability and employee retention rates. The Harvard Business Review reported that more diverse companies report 19% higher revenue than traditional ones. Businesses in the top quartile for ethnic, racial, and gender diversity also have a 25% greater likelihood of being more profitable. Research aside, though, we know that bringing more voices to your organization is a win-win for everybody. It can be a really intimidating and tricky topic to talk about and to navigate, but we have the most wonderful expert here today to walk us through what it all means, how to implement real change in your business, and specifically, how small businesses can benefit from being intentional about your DEI practices and policies. She is none other than the most amazing guest and the first person to return to the show, the one and only Coach Colleen. Coach Colleen Elridge is a dear friend, colleague, mentor, and my personal hero. She has so many years of experience in HR where she has been committed to building diversity and equity in many different types of workplaces. She has springboarded off of that experience to create her own boutique consulting company called Be More that helps companies rebuild morale and create equitable, and inspiring cultures. She's done work for a Fortune 100 companies who are moving millions through their companies each day, and then small business owners like myself. I can't wait for you to hear this very important conversation with the one and only Coach Colleen. Coach Colleen, welcome back to the show. Hello. Our very first returning guest, because we have you back.
1: That's so crazy to me, but I'm honored how exciting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is episode 34. We have already done 34 episodes talking about all sorts of fun small business things. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me back. Yes, incredible. Well, when we were talking about doing an episode to talk about DEI, I, of course, needed to have you back. One, because you are the best expert There are, of course, many experts, but I feel like what you do really uniquely is break it down in a way that is easy to digest and easy to understand. And then also because you have helped our company with our own DEI practices and policies. And so we'll get into that a little bit later. But I want to kick this conversation off with, can you just give us the very basic like DEI 101? What is it? Why are we talking about it? Why do we feel like it's important? And what do people need to know?
1: Yeah, so I always think of it as a progression, right? Because when we kind of think about how this really started to come about it was you know the 1964 civil rights act happened and then all of a sudden places were integrated in a way that they hadn't been before and then we started to see kind of these adverse actions happening in organizations and in workplaces where the law said one thing but then the hiring practices were showing something very different and so As it's progressed, and I think one of the great things that happened was they started talking about diversity in elementary schools. And they started talking about it in a way of like, everybody counts. And so we had this program called Everybody Counts. And one of the great things about it was it was really kind of to open our eyes up to the differences that we had in our class, but also other kids our age. And so I vividly remember learning the alphabet and sign language because there was a kid my age that was deaf. He didn't go to my school, but he got to come in and we got to learn how to talk to him. And so I think you had this whole generation of people that just understood the value of diversity differently. And because of that, They now have this expectation for what that means for how they live, how they work, who they work with, who their bosses are. And so organizations have really had to adapt. But DEI, at its core, stands for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And diversity are the things that make us different, the attributes that make us different, Equity are how are we providing the right level of resources and materials for people to have success? And inclusion, I define it as a state of feeling valued, respected, and supported. So, how do we ensure that everyone that works in our organization, because they are a member of our organization, feels valued, respected, and supported? And that's really what it is DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion.
0: Amazing. We have had a lot of conversations about this, we as a collective business community. What are your observations since 2020 when I feel like DEI kind of burst a little bit stronger on the scene when people became much more aware of racial disparities, different things that had maybe felt like it had been swept under the rug over time and suddenly people were very aware. There was this a bit of awakening, I feel like, on so many levels and it permeated into the business community. What have been your observations of that transition and that evolution from 2020 to now?
1: 2020 was such an interesting year for me for a lot of reasons. But let me back that up a little bit to explain why I felt like it was so interesting. So most of my time in government, when I worked in government, I worked in the state EEO and diversity office. So I've been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion and affirmative action for two decades now. And I was doing it in a place that sometimes wasn't always as welcoming of that information you know, or or open to that information. But I do think the beauty of it is I then had to learn how to make this a digestible topic for people and how to make them interested in it by broadening the scope of what a lot of people think about when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, I think the lowest hanging fruit, the easiest piece of it is race and gender, but there are so many other attributes of diversity that make workplaces better that aren't just the two big things. And so I had been talking about it for a long time. 2020 happened and I had the most interesting phone calls in 2020. My favorite was a company called me and they said, we just want to know how do we hire more black people right and i was like <laughs> that's the wrong question you know like
0: <laughs> let's back it up maybe a few steps <laughs> i was
1: like that's the wrong question and that's not like i'm not your person if that's what you want and so right. i think for a lot of people in 2020 a lot of businesses they felt like we need to do something, but they didn't even know what they needed to do. So they just said, well, here's what we're seeing. So let's just throw spaghetti at the wall and see if this helps. Mm -hmm. The problem I think is that if that's all you're focusing on are the numbers and the optics and what does it look like, you're not getting any of the benefits of what diversity and inclusion bring to your organization. And so a lot of organizations that I saw in 2020 that really took that approach of like, let's just get the numbers to look a certain way are kind of right back where they started at because they didn't do the work to build those cultures of inclusion. So those people then left, right? Because when you have diversity and you don't have inclusion, it's a recipe for chaos. Imagine bringing all of your friends that are different in so yeah. many different ways, to one place, one party, without having some type of expectation about what it means for us to all be together. Yeah, People were doing that in workplaces and then wondering why <laughs> it didn't work. And so I do think that there is more of an awareness of the importance of building a culture of inclusion right now. I don't think that it's where it needs to be. And for me, I always say focus on building inclusive spaces and Mm -hmm. then focus on bringing in more diversity because it's integrated a lot more easily. But there's definitely a positive shift with it. I'm interested to see what the Supreme Court ruling is going to do in terms of some organizations' initiatives, but it's moving in the right direction.
0: This is why I love that you're here talking about this because you have worked in it and built these spaces for companies and seen what they have done. You can hire all the most diverse people in the world, but if you do not have inclusive spaces to welcome them into, the whole thing falls apart. That's just a big light bulb moment for me. It's like, oh, we can do whatever it takes to bring the appropriate people into the fold. But then if they don't want to stay there because they don't feel like they belong then the whole thing is the complete opposite of what you're trying to do in the
1: first place. And it's expensive. That is an expensive way to go about doing it. And that's why like I get so frustrated sometimes because I'm like, you're wasting your money. Of course, you're not going to see that return on investment. And for me, this is a smart business decision, not just say it feels good. It does feel good, but it's a smart business decision.
0: What do you say to companies that you're trying to convince them of why it's a good business decision and why it's not just about woo-woo feelings, which, you know me, I'm all about woo-woo feelings, probably more so than I am about business decisions, (laughs) but most of the business world is not so convinced by woo-woo feelings, and so you have to convince them that monetarily this is good for them. So what do you say for that argument?
1: Yeah, So a couple of things. One, there's a lot of research that shows that when you have more diverse and inclusive teams, the return on investment is exponential, like 25% more than homogeneous teams. So that's like one place that I start. I love the data behind why this is important, just as much as I love the feel-good parts of why this is important, because my brain really does kind of need both. But the other thing that is just like concrete calculation is we know that people don't leave the work that they do. They leave like a manager. They leave the organization because they're not getting what they need from the organization. So when I look at retention numbers, when I look at turnover numbers in an organization, and I can say, all right. If 25% of your people left because they didn't feel a sense of belonging, they didn't feel a sense of inclusion, and I know that it costs you 150% of that person's pay to replace that person, those are like some real tangible numbers that the sunk cost of that people can't ignore. And so when you look at for one of the companies that ended up being like $6 million that they were losing a year in retention, and I was like, I didn't make those numbers up. Those are real actual numbers. And when you have these things in place, like we can see that people stay in organizations longer. We can see that they promote the organization to their friends and to other people that look like them which is going to help you expand your business as well. The other big thing is just the demographics of the United States in the next five to 10 years. It will be a very different 52% will be non-white in the next five years. Right. That number... I think should be a wake-up call for a lot of organizations because when something is above 50, they now become the majority. And the majority sets the norms. They set the tones. They set all the things. And so it's not just what's going to be happening inside of your business. It's also who your consumer is going to be. And the more that you have people that can talk to that consumer, the better it is for business. So it kind of approaches it like a bunch of different angles, not just from the turnover, but also from the customer base and also from how are people viewing your organization? Are you an organization that people want to buy from? And beyond just the demographics piece of it, we know that generations younger than us really do value an organization that is mission-driven and that has values that are in alignment with their own. And they are far more socially aware than any other generation we've had before.
0: Right. I've seen that 100% where we've had a team request, hey, can we take off because we're going to go protest at the Women's March downtown? That was just such a different thing that had come up that had never come up before. And I loved it. I loved that that was where their heart was, that they had banded together because they wanted to go do something that was going to be meaningful. If you're trying to plan for the future, this is not just a woo-woo thing. This is a, how do you set yourself up for success to be able to be around for a long time?
1: Yeah. I use the example often of, do you want to be blockbuster? Because I think... (laughs) I honestly think that this is going to be like a blockbuster defining thing for organizations. And if they are not already on board, if they're not willing to get on board really quickly, they're just going to be so far behind that the sustainability of their organization will not be able to catch up because we're just moving so much faster these days. So it really is like, do you want to be blockbuster? Because these are blockbuster decisions (laughs) right now. (laughs) What do
0: you feel like for, especially for small businesses that don't have giant budgets, cannot have a specific DEI coordinator or maybe larger budget programs? Say someone has a small business and says, I would love to do so many things in this department. What is a way that they can start small? And what is a way that they can have kind of a big impact
1: with doing small things? So I would think, a committee is a great place to start for a small team. If you have two or three people on the committee that really are focused on how are we creating a sense of inclusion and belonging within our organization, and that could be they're looking for programming out in the city that you live in, or they're looking for programming that they can partner with other organizations with. But Beyond the committee work and doing some of those like partnerships, I really think it starts with looking at things like the policies that you have in place, the culture that you want, that you have established and the culture that you want. What are the behaviors that are okay and aren't okay within our organization? Like getting clear about that, I think is so important. And I think so many organizations let it happen by default instead of doing those things intentionally. And so then when someone does cross the line, they don't have anything in place to address that behavior because it's not clear that that wasn't in alignment with the values of the organization. But to me, the policies is like the quickest, simplest way to get started because just because it was applicable two years ago doesn't mean it's still applicable now. And so I would say, go through your employee handbook, go through your policies and ask yourself, is this still necessary? Is this still relevant? And then go through it again with an equity lens and ask, are there some unintended consequences of some of the policies that we have in place? And I see that happen a lot where it fits the majority, but it still could hurt someone because of the policy And then again, you ask yourself, is this still relevant? If I know that this is unintentionally hurting someone, is there a different way to look at this policy? Is there a different way that we can address the concern of the policy while still being inclusive? Those, I think, are like the lowest hanging fruit things to do. Of course, you can do things like mentoring programs, pay equity studies, things like that. But those take a little bit more time and cost a little bit more money. Right.
0: And I will put in a definite recommendation for Coach Colleen or a consultant type person who does this work, who is able to come in and analyze your policies and work with you in a way that doesn't feel scary or somebody who can hold your hand and say, I see what you're trying to do. Let me give you some pointers or here's some advice on different ways that we can work towards that goal. And that to me felt much easier. And yes, it cost something, but it also to me was invaluable having somebody who was an expert in this department. When I have discussions with other business owners or people who are speaking about DEI policies, there seems to always be these statements that pop up continually that I feel like are like a trend. And I feel like it is well-intentioned, but I also would love to get your thoughts on how we kind of debunk those and how we kind of unravel these statements. So one that I see a lot when it comes to wanting to hire a more diverse workforce is, well, I'm just trying to find the best candidates. And I've seen this also not just in hiring, but when it comes to different programming, when you have students applying to get into a specific program or other candidates getting into something, we just want the best. And that's with like big quote unquotes, the best candidates. And let's just let the numbers fall where they fall. So what would you say to that? And if somebody is feeling like that as a leader of an organization, how do you talk them through that?
1: Yeah, it's funny because there are some industries that I hear that in more than others, like tech, for example. I think they have a big problem on their (laughs) hands, and it's going to get, I'm worried about the tech industry in some ways, but I think best is subjective, right? Like what is best? That's the first thing. And the second thing is, I just feel like when someone says they want the best candidate, And that is their reasoning for not hiring someone that has diverse background or experience, that they automatically assume that someone that does have a diverse background can't be the best candidate. And that's a bigger problem Like, that's a whole different mindset issue. Right. That tells me that it wouldn't matter if they were the best. You would always find a reason to not hire that person. It's almost like when someone says they weren't a good fit. Well, what does that mean? It's the same thing. It's like, oh, they're not a good fit because this is what you've always had. And if you want to grow your business, sometimes you have to have what you've never had before in order to bring in a different perspective. And so, standardizing your hiring practices, I think, is a way to help with that. But also, looking at where do some employees or potential employees get lost in the pipeline, too? Because maybe it's a system problem or maybe it's a person problem. But when it comes to best not equaling someone of a diverse background, Like, that's a soul-searching issue, and maybe you should not be the person doing the hiring. Right. I love that. Yes.
0: It's probably beyond something that a consultant could talk you through at that point.
1: Well, yes and no, because one of the things that I always do tell people is, this is going to sound awful. I don't care who you are in your everyday life. I don't care if you don't like certain people in your everyday life. I do care about who you are at work. And I do care about who you are as an organization and how you want to run your business and how I can help your organization be successful. So outside of that, if you're not a great person, that's on you. That's for you to figure out. But when you are at work, I want you to think of the things that you do and the decisions that you make as smart business decisions. And that's I think, sells it to a lot of people. But yeah, I can't fix someone's heart. I can fix like how they make the decisions.
0: One of the lessons I've learned as an entrepreneur is celebrating. Taking time to intentionally honor your achievements and share them with others is a big part of what makes the whole journey worth it. And one of my favorite ways to do it is with food, of course. Goldbelly is our partner in how we deliver our ice cream to customers all over the US so they can make their special moments even more special wherever they are. And whatever milestone you're celebrating with your friends and family, Goldbelly has just the thing. Whether you need Guy Fieri's trash can dessert nachos for Dad's birthday or Martha Stewart's famous banana pudding for your sister's baby shower, Goldbelly can ship it right to your door and make your event even more special. So if you haven't taken advantage of Goldbelly's amazing offerings, now's the time. Run over to their website at goldbelly.com and make your celebration unforgettable. If you've been here for a while, you know that I incorporate community in everything I do. It fuels every decision I make about my life and my company. Our beloved sponsors, Holly Hill & Co. also share the same love for community. In fact, their love of community is why they work so hard to highlight local produce in all nine of their Central Kentucky restaurants, like Zim's in downtown Lexington, Honeywood at the Summit, and the historic Holly Hill Inn in Midway so you can experience what it means to connect the farmer and the food to your family's table. And now they've expanded their offerings to the community by opening a new cooking studio and retail store. You can take cooking classes with the very famous James Beard-nominated chef Weta Michael herself and learn about how to make the most out of your farmer's market haul or how to craft the perfect bourbon menu. And while you're there, shop the handcrafted goods and thoughtfully curated gift sets for your friends and family. Learn more about their new cooking studio and retail store in downtown Versailles, Kentucky by visiting hollyhillandco.com. Again, that's hollyhillandco.com and let them know Tal from the Crank and Boom podcast sent you. So here's uh, maybe kind of off topic question, but what should someone do if they are in an organization and they are maybe not a leader who can make top-level decisions, but they want to see policies change or they see things happening within the organization that are maybe not in line with these sort of policies, but the leader may not be on board or may also not feel like there is a problem? What do you feel like that person should
1: do? So one of the things that I teach in my diversity class is diversity starts with me. And so I do think that there's a role that every individual in an organization can play in creating the culture of inclusion that they want to see within an organization. So what can I do to help make sure that people feel included and feel like they belong? So part of it is a little introspective. What am I doing? The other part is if... That person has not addressed those concerns, address some of those concerns, but you have to be able to address it as a business decision. And this is where I see individuals miss the mark sometimes, is because they go into it with like an impassioned position or they go into it from an emotional place. And That instantly puts people on the defense. And so what you have to be able to do is say, I see X, Y, and Z happening, and this is how it is impacting the business. This is how it is impacting the organization. This is how it's impacting the bottom line. That is something that every leader will listen to. And if you don't have that number yet, if you don't have that data, pause get the information, be able to say, this is why it matters to you and to this organization, and then they'll be willing to do something about it. But if you just go in from the emotion of it, there's not a whole lot of a compelling reason for a business entity to make changes. Right.
0: I certainly have been in workplaces that I have not felt 100% safe or I belonged and I'm pretty sure you have too, if you are in a heightened state where you do not feel safe or you do not feel heard or you do not feel like you belong, think about where all your energy is going. Instead of actually doing the work that you have been tasked and you are being paid to do, you are thinking about what such and such is going to say to you or if you're going to be attacked verbally or if someone is going to make you uncomfortable and how much of an energy drain that is on an organization and it's usually if there's one person that is causing that is probably affecting everybody around them. Mm-hmm. And so I love how taking the emotion out of it and saying, look, this is something that is affecting lots of people and we cannot concentrate on our job when we feel like this workplace is not safe or that I can't focus on this because I'm focusing on this person who is making me feel like, I don't belong here. So there's so many compelling reasons why this needs to be talked about
1: and it needs to be a priority for businesses. But also, too, like if something is going on in a workplace that does like cross that line, I want to be very clear about this. There are organizations that you can go to, the Human Rights Commission in Kentucky, the Equal Opportunity Commission that you can go to to file a complaint if your employer is not doing something about it. And I think that that is a reasonable route to go about too. But I will say this, give your employer a chance to resolve it. Don't go there first. Go to your employer first, address the issue. And if they still choose not to do something about it, there are always other options. Also, don't forget to be a good advocate, a good coworker. Like If you see something, say something, right? Don't let someone suffer by themselves or feel like they are the crazy person. Yes, absolutely. Let people know that you see what's happening. Speak up about it. Advocate on their behalf. If it's not you, if it's someone else, advocate on their behalf. Be a good friend, a good coworker, a good partner to someone that you work with if they're being the victim of harassment or discrimination as well. Right.
0: And to tag on to that, I also want to say that the responsibility to create these spaces within our business community does not lay on communities that are traditionally marginalized. I feel like it is a collective thing that we all need to do. And I feel like it's even more important that the communities that are of the majority are the ones taking these initiatives, even if it feels like it might be hard, or if you feel like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. I feel like making the effort means so much. Our voices only go so far. And so it has to be a united front that this is how our organization is going to be. And it has to be from the voices of leadership of the majority and as a collective and not just on the shoulders of people who are traditionally marginalized.
1: One thousand percent.
0: So I wanna talk a little bit about some of the work that we had done together for Crank and Boom because I wanted to look at our policies and also make sure that we were doing right by what in my heart I believed, but because I have my own biases and I have my own background and sometimes you have blinders on and you don't see other things, which is why you bring other people in that have other perspectives. And you are able to help us identify different things in our policies, some of our hiring policies, and some other things that were able to help us make really small changes. And that's the thing that I feel like I want to convey to other small business owners out there. It does not have to be this huge sweeping thing. It can take little changes. And then I feel like once you're aware, you just make decisions that lean towards being more equitable and more inclusive because it's like a muscle that you train. And we have all these trainings that you have to go through to be able to work in our shops, alcohol training and health department training. And originally we had the candidate pay for those trainings. So it added up to, I think over $100 per person to just supply 100, 200 bucks. And that was once you were hired. But then, what if you paid for all those, went to day one, and realized that you hated the job? Then you were out that money. And then it also just minimizes the candidate pool of who would apply if they knew, well, I have to pay for these things just to even apply. And so we got rid of that policy. And now the company pays for all of those. So nobody has to pay for anything in order to join the organization. And we cover all of that and we provide all the training and everything. And so that has made a a big
1: difference. And you pay them to do the training, right?
0: Yes. And we pay them like those hours as well. Don't leave that (laughs) out. That's important. (laughs) So (laughs) at first it felt, I was like, okay, that's going to be a big cost. But overall, over time, it just weaves into what we do. And it just becomes the cost of doing business and the cost of doing something that we feel like is the right thing to do. And for us, it brings a wider pool of candidates that are interested in working with us. And that is definitely a win-win for everybody.
1: Can I add something to that? Of course. So I remember when you and I were having that conversation and this is, I think, the benefit of having people that just have different diverse perspectives and that can cross so many things. But I think one of the things that I said to you was if I would have been 16 or 17 years old and wanted to come work here, I would not be able to afford to do all that stuff on the front end. I was raised by a single mom. She would not have had the extra $200 to pay for me to come and do classes so that I could get a job. And I think when you can partner the impact of the decisions that you're making with someone's real lived experience, it just changes how you view it. And it's like, oh, you didn't not think of it because you're a bad person. You just didn't think about the unintended consequences of how that could be a barrier of entry for people. And that I think is so important because I do think there's a lot of very good people that have very good reasons for the policies and practices that they have in place, they just haven't thought about the unintended consequences of some of those decisions.
0: Right. And some other things that we do that we try to be very intentional about, When someone gets hired, they fill out a survey that only comes to me and our HR person and then our main manager. You don't have to answer them if you don't want to, but we try to make sure to ask, what are your pronouns? We do that in the interview process. What would you like to be referred to? And just from the get-go, I feel like if you went into an interview and someone asked me that, I would think, oh, okay, this organization is aware of the LGBTQ community and is welcoming of it. And it would be a safe space for someone who identified in that community. So it's little things like that. So people lose name tags all the time, but we had gotten name tags where we have people write their name and also their pronouns as well, because someone who may be transgender might present a certain gender, but wants to be identified as a different gender, who they identify with, and to Joe Public, being able to put it on a name tag that says, I would like to be referred to as he, he, him, whatever people choose, and just making it a safe space in that way and showing that we are putting the effort to create an inclusive space. And of course, partnering with organizations that support LGBTQ rights, and then also other initiatives from diverse backgrounds, we try to just work with lots of different people that do a lot of different work in all sorts of organizations. So I think being able to say we support this organization that is doing work in the community is our own way of saying this is what our values are as a company. So to me, that's not even a policy thing. That's just choosing how you want to represent your values to your team and also to the public.
1: And also business-wise, it expands the reach of your organization. And again, people forget that it is a good thing to do because it's in alignment with your values, but it also is just a smart business decision too. It expands the reach of your organization.
0: Absolutely we're going to kind of wrap up the conversation, but what do you feel like you're seeing now with different companies? What trends are you seeing? What are different initiatives that people are doing that you feel like have made a great impact that we can see and that you can share that we as small business owners might be able to implement?
1: There's kind of two different camps of organizations right now. There's one that I think the Supreme Court decision has really hindered their progress because they're worried about the implications of it. And then there's others that I think have just kind of doubled down and been like, cool, this we're still doing this because this is who we are as an organization. And so I do think that that's an interesting thing to kind of watch happen. I think the ones that are kind of backed off are the ones that were hesitant to do it to begin with. And we're like, okay, now I have a reason to not do it. So I think thinking through, like, who do we want to be as an organization, right, and getting really clear on that. The other thing that I think organizations that are thriving right now and I think will be thriving in the future are doing is they're really focused on building communities both within their organization and within their community. And I think Crank and Boom does this better than so many other organizations that I see, because of those partnerships that you have with all these different community partners. One of the things that I'm really excited about when it comes to business and diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging is what I think will be kind of the next piece of this is we have a loneliness epidemic that is frightening. Like it is truly frightening. And I think that business will have a role in fixing this. And that's one of the things that I really plan to spend the next few years really like working on is how do organizations address loneliness? Because think of the impacts that it has on you as a business owner too. And so to me, all of that goes hand in hand, right? If I feel a sense of belonging, I'm not going to be lonely because I know that I have a community of people that value, respect, and support me. It's so much bigger than just what you see and don't see than who someone is and who they're not. It really is about community and how are we building communities within our organizations and how is our organization being a good steward within the community. So I do think that that's going to be the next thing, not just the loneliness piece, but also really intentionally building communities and moving away from this we're like a family to we are a community. Because the community has resources and a community has standards and community has consequences for behavior. And so that's what I really see a lot of the big shifts are going to be moving towards that. Incredible.
0: Well, now we're going to have to bring you back so we can have a conversation about loneliness and community building. And as a leader of an organization, one of my greatest thrills and what I enjoy the most and what I feel like is one of my strengths is building community to be able to say, here's a room and here's a table and I'm just going to keep making the table bigger so more people can come And join the table and feel like they are a part of something. Because I think as humans, that's all we're looking for is to just feel like you have a purpose and you belong somewhere. And so much of what we're talking about today is so much more than about numbers and politics, but it's about how do we advance the human race in the state that we're in now.
1: Well, and it's going to have a lot of tangible business impacts too. Here's the stat that really woke me up. And I know we're wrapping up, but I'd have to share the stat. It said that loneliness has the same impact on the body as smoking 17 cigarettes a day. Oh, my gosh like the same health detriments to the body. And I was like, oh my gosh, why are we not talking about this more? Because if it's having that type of impact on the body, then what is it going to do to the workforce? Yes. If people are suffering from loneliness and they have health issues from loneliness, that's going to impact the workforce. So the work community, the business community has an obligation to do something about it. Again, this is not one of those that just feels good there will be a business necessity to do something about addressing loneliness in the future.
0: Yes. Well, I think that is a perfect note to end on, even though I don't really want to end. I love being able to be here with you and just talk about all these things that are so important to the world and to the business world and to our community. So thank you for everything that you do to advance all of those things and for being you and for joining us today because I love you and you're amazing. I love you too.
1: Thanks for having me back.
0: Repeat guests. Repeat (laughs) guests. And then you probably will end up being the first three-time guest. So we're gonna have to put that on the docket next. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Crank and Boom podcast. If you want business advice and tactics like this every week, click that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast so you never miss an episode with us. Also, if you like what you heard today, it would mean oh so very much to me if you would leave us a review that helps other people find us. Leave a note on what topics you want me to cover more of because we would love to hear from you. I can't wait to meet you here again very soon. Until next time, peace. This is a production of Four Eyes Media.